This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing? I hope everyone is doing good amidst of these uh, pressing times. This is your new host, Anna. I will be hosting the interdisciplinary research sub-theme under the Physical Activity Researcher podcast from now. And I'm super excited because this is my first episode with a new guest. And um, yeah, so I would like to provide a brief background about our new guest, his educational and his research background. And um, yeah, then we'll just uh, give give him an opportunity to share his research with us. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Professor Cornel Wendy Lenort from Central Queensland University today. Um, so, Cornel leads the Physical Activity Research Group and the 10,000 Steps Program at the Central Queensland University. In 2004, he completed his PhD in Physical Education at the Kent University in Belgium. In 2005, he started working at the University of Queensland. And he then moved to the Central Queensland University in 2009. As per his research, he has a population-based approach to health behavior change and is focused on the development and evaluation of innovative computer-tailored and web, app, and tracker-based physical activity interventions. And he has been awarded over $10 million of competitive research money and has received various prestigious research fellowships. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Professor Cornel Wendelenort. Welcome, Cornel. Thank you. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you going? I'm good. Thank you. Um, tell me, how are you coping in these pressing times? Um, well, pretty, pretty good. But to be perfectly honest, um, down here or up here in central Queensland, um, it hasn't really impacted us all that much. We've been very well protected here away from the big cities, away from um, uh, countries that are very connected, uh, big island Australia. So it's been, it's been, life has been pretty normal here. That sounds great. That sounds great because normalcy is what everyone wants today and what everyone yearns for. So I would call you uh, to be lucky to be least affected by the crisis. Very, very, very lucky indeed. Yes. So, Cornel, uh, would you like to tell us something about your research in your own words? I'm sure everyone would be excited to know um, the details about the exciting work that you do. Uh, sure. Um, where to begin? Um, but, well, let's let's start with the, with the PhD. So, my PhD was on um, computer-tailored interventions. So, computer-tailored interventions... Um, try to provide uh, some personalized feedback through using um, algorithms. So very simple if-then algorithms, if this condition applied, then show this sort of feedback. And uh, so that's how I started my PhD. And and I'm still today um, doing that sort of research, still involved with computer research. Mm -hmm. 
But along that, um, after my PhD, I've, I've, I've kind of broadened my, my viewpoint a bit. And I've also um, become very interested in, in just any sort of technology-based physical activity interventions that can reach large populations at a relatively low cost. So that's just web-based, app-based, tracker-based, chatbots, um, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so, yeah, tech-based physical activity research. Sounds great. So uh, can you tell a bit more to the audience about the difference between the M-based, the web the web and the app and the tracker-based research? Are they interconnected? Are there any differences? Can you please throw some light on that? Yeah, sure. Um, they're definitely interconnected. Um, for example, and now we're going to talk more about 10,000 steps later on, but for example, 10,000 steps, that's all three of them at the same time. It has a website and it has a whole range of features on that website, but it also has an app and the app, whatever data the app collects gets synced with the website. And it also uses um, uh, pedometers or activity trackers to um, help people to self-monitor their physical activity. So it does all three at the same time. But not, you know, some some physical activity interventions will only be app-based or only be web-based, uh, although less and less, um, or will not use trackers, per se. Okay, um, that's intriguing. 10,000 Steps program actually, I think, is a wonderful example and an illustration of the combination of um, the tracker, the uh, web-based and the app-based um, interventions. So we'll be talking about the 10,000 Steps program in detail. But before that, uh, would you like to tell us that how did this um, field of um, digital interventions how did it come into being like how did it used to be in the past and um what was the pioneering point or who was the uh pioneer of these digital interventions uh, well it's, it's a relatively young field um you know I, I, and i'm old enough or young enough i'm not sure how to look at it um, when i was at university i remember um being taught how to send an email and all of us thinking, why would we want to send emails to people? So, and I'm not that old, but, uh, so it's not that, it's, it's not that long ago when, when this whole digital revolution happened. And so the field itself is still pretty young. Um, I, I think it was around the year 2000 that the first web-based physical activity interventions, um, were being tested. Um, and with, um, varying, varying degrees of success. I think at that stage, uh, researchers are still very much trying to figure out how this sort of intervention would work. And, and what they did was just provide education and information on websites and hope people would find it and act upon it. But, you know, it didn't take too much longer to figure out that a bit more was required to, um, to enable behavior change. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, and, and, I mean, we're still not there. There's the quest to make those interventions more effective is still very much ongoing. And this is also, um, goes, of course, hand in hand with the fact that the, the, the digital environment uh, continues to change very rapidly. Um, the, the smartphone was, um, first brought to market by Apple in 2007. So there was no apps before 2007. 
um, basically. And then very rapidly, all sorts of platforms uh, were developed and it wasn't just Apple anymore. Um, so, but app-based research is still very new. Uh, Web-based is a bit older, but really not all that much older. Um, and so it's, it's been figuring out, yeah, what works for people in these, on these platforms. And it, it didn't take very long to, to, um, realize that, um, engagement is really a huge, well, issue or problem. I'm not sure if, if that's the right, right way of describing it, but basically, um, we need to develop, um, apps and interventions and web, websites that are sticky. So when people want to come back more than once, because what happens very, very often is some people never even get there. You know, you develop something, you invite them to, uh, to visit your website or your app, they say, yes, I will do that. And they actually don't. Um, and so, but for those that are going there, then the challenge is to make sure they come back at least more than once. And, and even that is a huge challenge. So, you know, in, in essence, we'd like to develop a website like or an app like Facebook where people come back every single day, day in, day out, year after year. Um, we, ha we haven't reached that sort of level of sophistication just yet, um, but that's really the holy grail of engagement, um, and which, which is just extremely challenging. Um, hmm. Also because um, basically everybody on the internet is trying to get your attention. It's all a fight or competition for attention. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of ways you can spend your time on the internet. And a lot of ways that are a lot more interesting than going to a health promotion website or app. Uh, so, so it's a, it's a big challenge to, to beat that sort of a competition, um, and have people use your app or your websites time and time again. And so that, that, um, yeah, most of the research focused within the E&M health field is really on how do we make our websites more sticky? Because we know already that if people use them, they can be effective. They can be very effective. It's just that they are not being used enough. We, we do have, um, super users. So those people or super engaged users, I should say, there's, there's, they are the people that, you know, they do use your website or your app for a very long time. Um, but they're really rare. They're very rare. There's only a, a tiny percent of people that really get into it and keep using those tools, uh, whereas the vast majority just um, drops up reasonably quickly. And so the quest is how, how can we make it more appealing for more people so they use it for longer? So, okay, um, these are some very good points. So what would you say, what are the challenges that people do not come to or do not stick to using those um, apps or the web pages for or like the digital interventions that we're talking about? So what, what kind of challenges are there and how can you overcome those challenges to make those apps and websites more appealing to people so that you can increase the number of people who use them? Um. I'm not sure what you mean with what challenges are there. Are there for the researchers or are there for the users? Um, the challenges for the users. Why would they not stick to using a website or like an app? Because there's more fun stuff elsewhere. And because health promotion or, or you know, um, improving your behavior 
or your increasing your physical activity is, is in essence a hard thing to do. It's never going to be the most fun thing ever. Um, and it's, it's, it's easy to get distracted and, or, you know, you, you make an effort, you're motivated. And after a while you run out of steam and then it's easy to conveniently forget about, um, the app that nudges you. Um, it's, it's one thing that's become more recent is, um, specifically for app based research is all these apps that people have on their phones, they all nudge you. They all send you notifications. And you, the notifications your app sends out just get lost. There's just too many competitions. So it's really a, a thing. It's a, it's a fight for attention. That's, that's what I put it down to. That's the biggest challenge is that it, it gets outcrowded by so many other alternatives or, or just being busy. You know, life is busy for most people. And so they have to cram it all in and they want to have a break sometimes. And so. Being on a physical activity app is maybe not the most appealing thing compared to being on Facebook or watching YouTube videos. Yep, definitely. Um, I absolutely agree with you. It's just like that although people realize the importance of physical activity when you talk to them and they know that they should be engaging in the physical activity, but as you put it, that there is so much competition and there are so much um so much so many other things that can divert people's attention that it gets difficult even for the researchers to um target the population and to motivate them to do what they should be doing um okay so just subsequent to what you just told me um as a researcher what do you think Okay, you did point out that, you know, there is so much competition, but as a researcher, have you come up with any strategies, you and your team or, um, you know, the work that you do? So have you come up with any strategies to increase the attention of um, people? Like, has anything worked? Has anything been pointed out? Yes, sure. That, well, this is... There's all sorts of things and ideas that we put forward and test and and... It's, a single study is not is not always good enough to say this works or this doesn't work. Um, that's why we have systematic reviews and things. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's been um, a, a lot of things that we've tried to make it more appealing. Um, I, I think maybe before I get into specifics, I should say that um, you know when it comes to building appealing, engaging, and user friendly web websites and apps. A really important thing to consider is not just the, the determinants of health or the, the health behavior change theories or behavior change techniques that support that sort of thing, which is, you know, the way we traditionally think as researchers, but also to consider, um, I suppose, what you could call the determinants of persuasion and um, the right communication strategies. And so it's more about communication strategy. It's, it's about how does... Uh, a good functioning website or app look like and as, uh, and how are they designed? Um, and that's, that's a whole different sort of theory that sits behind that compared to the behavior change type theory. And so you, you, when you want to build an effective website or app, you really need to think about both these things and not, not just rely on the behavior change theory. Um, so that's the first thing uh, I want to say. And so. Um, but what, what have we tried? Um, social support or social networking, 
uh, online social networking. So, so either using an existing social network, such as Facebook, or uh, building your own network. Building your own network is, is kind of problematic from the point of view that Facebook kind of owns the monopoly already there, and, and people are reluctant to start up yet being part of another network where nobody hangs out. None of their friends are there. I mean, it has been done, obviously, for example, Strava, um, you know, it's super popular, but it's, it's very sporty. It's, it's more for fit people rather than for people that are just starting to become aware that being active is good for them. And they're not really out there to compete and, and break records and all of that sort of stuff. And, but there, there's other communities out there that have a very specific focus. So that sort of network can work. It's just very hard to establish one where everybody piles on and says, yes, I'm on that network for my physical activity. Uh, so, so, um, but those networks are engaging. Uh, and so using existing networks like Facebook is an option, but it's, it's challenging in the sense that it keeps on changing. And we've had it more than once that, um, Facebook would make a change in the middle of our trial and our trial basically dies there on the spot because our app or whatever doesn't work anymore, um, because they made some changes. Um, and that's completely out, out of your control and you can't go and argue with Facebook to reverse that. It's your study just died. Uh, so there's a, there's a risk involved more from a research point of view. Um, so, so social networks and social support. I mean, and you don't per se need, um, social networks to create social support on apps, but, um, it's, it's, it's one way. Um, gamification is another big one. Um, where um, it's 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 trying to make a game out of it. Basically, being more active, you can um, earn points or or rewards or awards of some sort, um, and it, it it works reasonably well. I mean, none of this is works well enough to say we figured it all out. Um, but it, but the, all these sort of things contribute a little bit to making it more worthwhile for people to use these websites and apps. Definitely. It sounds as if um, um, there needs to be work done, not just from the theoretical standpoint, but also from the practical standpoint. As you said, that we cannot just employ the health behavior change theories. We need to know that what is it that makes something exciting for people and draws their attention towards using that thing. Okay, great. Um, so moving on from here, um, what do you think is the, um, like you can say like, um, where are the web and app and the tracker-based interventions going? Like what, we, we talked about their past first, that how did the field emerge? How did it come into being? So what is their present? What is their present status? Are they attracting people? Are they working? Um, can you elaborate that point, please? Yeah. Um, present sales, I would be, I would say is it's a bit hidden. Some of them work really well and then others don't work at all. Um, and so you, and it's often a bit of a mystery why some work and others don't. So we definitely have a lot more work to do figuring out what makes some tick and what makes others not. Um, but but yeah, I think 
where we are now is we have a good grasp of of how effective they are, um, hmm. and it's probably not effective enough. Um, but we are a long way off from giving up trying to make them more effective. I think there's still a whole range of avenues that we need to um, explore. And it, and as I said, it's a dynamic environment. It keeps changing. New stuff um, keeps appearing. Um, and and so the the research kind of moves along with it. It's always, of course, one or two steps behind. You know, sometimes, not often, you know, by the time you've evaluated a new innovation in the field, it's already out there and nobody's using it anymore. That happens a bit, but not too much. But if definitely if you don't evolve along, there's no point. Um, so, so um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, looking at the systematic reviews and meta-analyses and, and things like that, it this the E&M health sort of interventions uh, demonstrate small to moderate effects. Um, but, but if you can reach a, a massive amount of people, that's still worthwhile from a population health perspective. So, and, and that brings me to um, another um, big issue in the field, I think, which is it hasn't been getting all that much attention is, you know, we can test these studies in randomized controlled trials, which is the vast majority of publications in this area are from trials of some sort, but only a very small amount of research has happened on how well do these things work in the real world. So the more ecological trials or real world experiments, because um, that's, you know, randomized control trials are supposed to be, supposedly to be working under ideal circumstances. It's all very controlled. If, if, if something's happening, you're supposed to know why it's happening and what's causing it. Whereas in the real world, the real world is extremely messy and it's, it's also messy in an online environment. Um, and, but, but of course, the real world is where people will be using these things. So, so we really need a lot more work happening on what happens after the RCT. Because very few of the RCT tested websites and apps um, are let loose on the public and evaluated in that context. And also, um, a big challenge with, with this sort of intervention is it's not because you build it that they will come, because there's just so much build already. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of health apps out there. Why would people uh, spontaneously start downloading your app on, in, in, in large numbers? It's just not going to happen. Um, so, so you need a whole other sort of approach to, for people even to know that your app is there and, and, and start download, downloading it. So, and there's, there's very, very little research happening in that space. Partially because it's, it's much harder to attract funding, research funding to it. You know, reviews like to fund, or funding agencies like to fund randomized controlled trials because it's controlled. Um, but it's far harder to get funding for messy real world experiments. Um, and that's, 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 a big gap in the field, I think. Um, likewise, um, we know very little about the cost effectiveness. You read any grant proposal uh, in this area and it will talk about how cost effective these things are because you can reach a lot of people at a very low cost. Yes, that is true. If you reach 100,000 people with your one website or app, that will be a very low cost of, of development of that app or website per user 
But the reality is that very, very, very few of those apps and websites actually get to reach an audience like that. And so we don't really know very well what we need to do to reach an audience like that. That and is then, a and yeah. then subsequently evaluate its cost effectiveness. Um, its, its cost effectiveness is only applied in theory. I mean, surely if you reason it, it must be cost effective, but, um, there's very few trials that actually, um, examined had, had economists involved and did the, the a full costing or yeah, full cost effectiveness analysis or on these type of interventions, which I think is, is, um, yeah, big massive gap in the literature, but also a big massive opportunity, uh, for, for, the next generation to go and explore that. Absolutely. This is a very important point that doing research as randomized controlled trials in a controlled environment is, I won't say that it is 100%, but there is a marked difference when you compare that controlled environment research with the research in the real world. And in terms of cost effectiveness, yes, although you uh, propose that it is cost effective when it comes to the real world, then you definitely need to do like the cost benefit analysis and then see whether it is really cost effective. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really important. So, um, what would you say about the future of um, digital interventions and the digital research? As you just pointed out that there is a massive gap in the existing literature and it could be a potential point of research for the future generations to um, to do um, like research in the real world settings. Apart from that, or even if you want to elucidate that point further, where do you see the future of digital um, health and digital interventions? That's a really good question. It's also a pretty hard one to answer um, because, of course, I can't. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future, and so hmm. and and mostly because, as I said, it's a very dynamic environment, and new technologies will be developed that may have huge uptake um, that we we can't even conceive today, but they may be there tomorrow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it, it's a bit hard to, to say, oh, this is the next, next big thing that's going to happen and everybody is going to, uh, start doing that. Um, yeah. so that's a bit hard. One thing though, um, where I, I think well, some work is already happening in this space and it's pretty, it's pretty new. Um, is, is in the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning. I do think, um, a fair bit is, you know, it, it's pervasive. It's in all layers of society that this, uh, sort of technology is being used more and more. And I think behavior change will be no different. Um, it, it will be, it is a very challenging sort of thing because it's, um, it's very complex to develop a good functioning, um, application. And, and I think that the way it will be used is, is, is in, is in high level personalization, um, to, to develop apps, um, that really almost know who you are. Uh, and, and so that treat every user differently. So most applications now will treat all users in the same way. They will offer, they will offer tools for users, for example, self-monitoring, goal setting, social support, gamification, all these things. Um, and, and users will be able to select which features they use more or less. 
on the application, but it will offer the same features for everybody, basically. And in the future, I think um, it, it will go a lot deeper than that. And, and, and it will feel as if that application was built just for you alone. Um, and and it, it will display an understanding of, of your behavior and interact with you in such a way that yeah, it's predicting what, what, what you will do and anticipating on that and, and, and nudging you to become more active or stay active. Uh, so I think that's, I think we'll see, we see, we'll see a lot more of that, but it's, it's, a, I think an extremely challenging, um, field to develop something that will actually work because it, yeah, it's complex stuff. I don't sure. think it will, I don't think it will get simpler. I just think it will, it will get more complicated and more complex to develop these sort of, um, interventions. Um, but hopefully there's, there's, um, there's, there's a real benefit from, from going the extra mile. So one thing Definitely. that, one thing that I've often, um, thought about is, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work on computer tailoring. So it's also a, a form of personalization, but it's, it's very static. You know, it's all the, um, all the algorithms that we use are um, developed well well before we Im implement the program with, with machine learning. The algorithms would actually evolve as people use it, which you know it's a bit yeah breaks my brain a bit when you try to think about it. Um, but, but but with the computer tearing, when when everything's pre-programmed, basically it's even though you try to offer a personalized experience, it's still limited. And after the longer people use that sort of application, the less effective it will become because people go down a pathway, but your programming doesn't allow them to go a certain pathway. It's all predetermined sort of pathway. Um, and that, that makes those type of interventions still uh, rigid in a way uh, and, and not optimal, optimally dynamic. Um, so I think the machine learning is the way to go with, with hyper um, personalization, but I don't expect anything massive anytime soon because I think it will take a long time to get it right because that's so complex. And so the point I was trying to make, and then I forgot about it, um, is um, you know when I when I developed these sort of computer interventions, one worry has always been: Will people in the field, professionals, you know, working at the government department, be able to recreate this stuff? Um, you know, sure enough, they can build a website, they can build an app and put some, you know, goal setting and self-monitoring on it. But can they really, um, can people in the field really develop this sort of thing themselves or, or is it really, you know, way beyond their expertise level? Mm. Um, you know, so after all, we in the universities, that's what we do. We really get into stuff and, and go down rabbit holes. And in practice, they don't really have that sort of luxury. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's a, a consideration that I, ha I have is like, how do we make sure that people in the field can still build these sort of things or will they have to completely rely on what researchers built and then that gets disseminated to professionals? Yeah. Um, sounds like it's quite, uh, promising, but it is challenging, but fingers crossed that, um, yeah, we are able to see some more work in the field and then based upon the existing gaps in the literature and in the field, future generations are able to put forth um, something new and something beneficial uh, for everyone. Yeah, and, and um, I think 
sorry to butt in there, but I, I, I think, um, you know, where, where the field is now, we need stuff that is dramatically more effective than what we have now. We've, a lot of the work that I've done has been iterating on the same thing and trying to make that more effective. But what you get is so, some sort of incremental progress. So yes, it's a, it's a bit more effective than the previous thing you did, but not a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and really what we need is some big leaps um, for, for this sort of research to really make an impact. Um, yeah, there, there is definitely moderate effectiveness there. And if you can reach a lot of people, it will make a difference for, for a lot of them. But I think we need another leap. We really need, we need to make it more effective. But basically, we need to make it more effective than what a, a face-to-face counselor could do, right? Because this is still, the, the I suppose, the, um, the benchmark, the golden standard. Yeah. Um, if, if you go and see someone regularly, face-to-face, just you and a counselor to talk about your physical activity and all the things that you should be doing and could be doing, um, that sort of intervention will work best. Um, that's, that's the pinnacle. Um, but we really should try to, um, I mean, I suppose the aim is can we make it just as effective using just technology? Um, yes. that's really, that's really the holy grail of, of this research. And, and I think we're still a long way off. Um, but who knows, you know, the technology keeps evolving and, and, um, one day it, we may actually make it more effective. Definitely. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.